You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. What is the relationship between dietary energy density and energy intake in the management of obesity and diabetes? Joining us to discuss the relationship is Professor of Nutritional Sciences at Pennsylvania State University in University Park, Pennsylvania, Dr. Barbara Rolls. Dr. Rolls, welcome to ReachMD. My pleasure. Well, let's start off with telling us a little bit about your background. And most of the folks in the audience are out in the trenches seeing patients, primary care doctors, nurses, What do you do in nutritional sciences? Well, I'm a um, professor at Penn State, and I'm the Helen Guthrie Chair in Nutritional Sciences. And I have another title, which is the Director of the Laboratory for the Study of Human Ingestive Behavior. I study eating behavior. So we invite people into my lab, and we feed them, and we see what we eat. So we're really interested in how food affects how much you eat, your food choices, and weight management. Well, can I volunteer? Absolutely. The, so I, I, love, I love that phrase, uh, ingestional... Uh, ingestive behavior. Ingestive behavior. Eating and drinking. Well, well give us an example uh, of something that you found in, some. let's say, one of the most important things you found it recently in your research about how these two things relate. Because I think that's very interesting how what you eat uh, sort of relates to the behavior. Um, what about the? How about the speed? Um, yeah, the speed of eating. There are some data coming out from other labs showing that um, slowing down can help. Paying attention is really important, uh, so that you are aware of um, what you've eaten and and how much. Um, but you know, really, in the end, if you slow down and you're still eating the wrong stuff, mm-hmm. you're going to end up not having as healthy a diet as you should. Well, let's let's talk about uh, some of the things that were in the introduction. What is the relationship between dietary energy density and energy intake? I think that's an area that most of us are quite ignorant about. Yeah, energy density has arrived on the um, weight management scene pretty recently. So we, we've been focused on um, proportions of fat, carbohydrate, and protein and how shifting those around can somehow... Um, boost your metabolism or help you to eat less. Um, energy density is the same as calorie density, which just refers to the number of calories in a given weight of food. Usually we give it as calories per gram. Fat has nine calories per gram and carbohydrate and protein have four calories per gram. So fat is twice as calorie dense as um, carbohydrate and protein. Fiber has about two and a half calories per gram. The biggest component of our foods, and this is where we have a lot of new information, is water. Mm. Water uh, has no calories per gram. So when you add water to foods, you're lowering the energy density and you get a bigger portion of food. Well, great. I'll just put my cheeseburger in a glass of water. That'd be... Absolutely, yeah. And then you probably wouldn't want to eat it at all, and that would work. (laughs) Well, Barbara, I have an important question for you. Something that we do in diabetes a lot, we always talk about 
uh, the insulin to carbohydrate ratio to calculate a dose. And I believe that patients underestimate the dose that they really need because they're not taking into account the calories in fat and protein. And so I, I like the concept of uh, a insulin to calorie uh, ratio. What, what do you, what's your comment when, to that statement? Um, yeah, in the end, obviously, um, calories are going to matter. I mean, if you're talking about using the glycemic index versus energy density for weight management, which I think is relevant to the, the question, um, glycemic index obviously is for carbohydrates. Energy density does encompass your entire diet. Um, so using energy density for ch- food choices makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of overlap. As I, as I explained to you, what foods help you to reduce the energy density of the diet, you'll see a lot of them would be foods that are low in glycemic index. So, um, you know, I think we need to figure out how to complement these approaches. Well, tell us a little bit about how diets low in energy density uh, are effective in reducing energy intake and managing body weight. That, that, that's probably a pretty important topic. Absolutely. So one of the big surprises in our field was that when you look at what people are eating over a day or two, they tend to eat a very consistent weight or volume of food, um, much more so than a consistent um, energy intake, which was pretty surprising. So once you figure out that people are are eating for weight or volume, um, then if you reduce the density of calories in, in that weight, I see. Um, people will eat less in terms of energy. So we've done a number of studies where we've given people free access to um, diets varying in, in um, energy density. And sure enough, they tend to eat a consistent amount of food if we've matched the palatability of our diets. And they spontaneously eat fewer calories. And they don't feel any hungrier. They feel just as satisfied. And this effect lasts for days and indeed works in weight management. This probably uh, relates to the water comment that you made because I'm just thinking of diet jello. You know, it's a, it's a fairly big volume, but yet it's not very dense and very little calories. And it's pretty filling with a little bit of Cool Whip on it. I don't know. Is that, does that relate to what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. But um, the most important tools um, are your vegetables, fruits, um, your really water-rich foods, um, broth-based soups. But um, we're particularly interested in how to get more vegetables into the diet um, and fruit. And um, when you're adding um, the um, non-starchy vegetables, for example, you're primarily adding water and some fiber and, of course, nutrients that most of us are not getting enough of. Um, so um, we've looked at a number of strategies to use vegetables, for example, or fruit to uh, help people uh, feel full and satisfied, to enhance satiety, if you like. That's interesting. I'm going to come back to the fruit in a second. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I am speaking with Dr. Barbara Rolls. We are discussing the relationship between dietary energy density and energy intake. Now, Barbara, you know, as a diabetes specialist, um, you know, fruit is obviously, you know, healthy for you, but the problem is it's simple carbohydrates and it can really cause havoc with the blood sugar. So when people say, yeah, let's put more fruit in your diet, I kind of cringe a little bit sometimes, you know. Uh, We we do allow fruit and as you know, we, we try to space it out and certain fruits are better than others. Um, what kind of fruits are you talking about? 
Um, well, we've um, done studies where, for example, we've looked at um, consumption of whole fruit versus, um, this was a whole apple, versus applesauce versus apple juice at the start of a meal. Um, and we found that if you eat whole apple at the start of a meal, you actually reduce your subsequent um, intake during the rest of the meal. So, And the applesauce worked a bit, but the juice did not. So we're actually um, recommending whole fruit. Um, High-fiber fruits would be great. And using them as a strategy to fill up first. This is one of the strategies we recommend. It works with low-calorie um, salads, with broth-based broth soups. Have a big portion of a very low-calorie density, very low-calorie first course. You will feel full when you get to the rest of the meal, which is usually higher in uh, calorie density, and actually end up eating less, even though you've had a, an extra course. So I, I, that relates to this whole concept of volumetrics, is that correct? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the size of, of the meal, not so much the density. You want to get something big that fills you up that's, that doesn't have a lot of calories. Well, how does that relate to the science of satiety? Um, uh, you know, obviously, if you eat something and it stretches your stomach, what about the brain? What kind of things are we learning about the brain in terms of inducing satiety? Well, you can uh, you can trick your brain into feeling full. For example, we found that reducing the volume density with air, um, people and eat less of aerated foods. Or you can have an aerated uh, smoothie at the start of a meal, for example, and you will eat less than if you have a regular smoothie. So um, our brains are computing uh, how much we're eating. This this is a point in in volumetrics, which are um, volumetrics refers to two books that I've written, popular books. One is called the Volumetrics Weight Control Plan. And the other, the volumetrics eating plan. So this is this explains how to implement this. Um, well, tell us a little bit more. How, how how do you implement it? Well, it's it's based on healthy, nutritious, balanced eating, and basically the the principles in volumetrics when this came out were pretty revolutionary because everybody was into um, gimmicks where you cut out whole food groups. Um, basically, in if you use volumetrics, you focus on what you can eat, not on what you have to give up. So you would emphasize how you can fit your favorite foods into your diet, how you can lower the calorie density by, for example, adding your favorite vegetables to a sandwich, to a stew. Um, obviously, because I'm a professor of nutrition, I want people to think weight management is the same as healthy eating, So, which has been a big disconnect in, in our field um, you have to eat fewer calories than your body is expanding. Um, it's it's the basic. And then it teaches you to make choices that will help to enhance satiety or that feeling of fullness that you um, experience as you eat so you don't feel hungry um, when you're managing your calories. Hunger is one of the things that undermines people. Now, in our, in our closing uh, couple of minutes, may, maybe you can tell our listeners who are seeing patients every single day with weight problems, you know, maybe just kind of a summary overview of the common sense approach and maybe putting some of the things you've said together. I really like what you've said, and I'm going to go out and have my chicken broth right after this before my, <laughs> before my roast beef sandwich. Uh. Okay, well, let me see. We have actually conducted a couple of clinical trials looking at energy density and weight loss and have found that it does indeed work. And the great thing is people end up eating a better diet quality. They end up eating more food by weight. That's because they're eating more of the bulky fruits and vegetables, and they feel less hungry. 
So the strategies are quite simple. When you're going um, to start weight loss, you want to keep a record and figure out what you're eating and what you can change that isn't going to feel like a big sacrifice. You need to figure out how to go for the long term. So um, figure out where you can add the fruits and vegetables strategies that are going to work, the the filling up first kind of strategy. Yep, and uh, avoid uh, caloric dense foods. Um uh at least the ones that you can you can avoid. Well, I like your I like your common sense approach, Barbara, because there's so many crazy diets out there. For people with diabetes, you know, you have to learn to enjoy what you like to eat, not try to restrict yourself so that you hate you have diabetes. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, Professor of Nutritional Sciences at Pennsylvania State University in University Park, Pennsylvania, Dr. Barbara Rolls. Dr. Rolls, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Uh, Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess in a way it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.